Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters podcast. I'm Arnaud Rijard, founder of Sport Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Finn Taylor, CEO of Volleyball World, the commercial arm of the International Volleyball Federation. We will speak about the future of volleyball aiming to become the second favorite sport globally and volleyball business development. Hello, Finn. How are you today coming back from the Women World Championship? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. pleasure. Last time we were in Paris at the French Open for the beach volleyball. Yeah, there's a lot of volleyball on the calendar, that's for sure. (laughs) So before we go to what's your new great endeavor, which is being the CEO of Volleyball World, I'd love to understand a bit more about your journey. First, how did you fall in love with sport? Did you ever fall in love with sport before working in volleyball, volleyball, by the way? Yeah, I mean, as a as a as a youth and a young adult, I tried to represent Australia in the Olympics in sailing, and so for a number of years, I was uh, was campaigning around the world, sailing in in regattas and competition. Um, so I've always I've always been involved in sport in one way or another, for sure, but never on a professional basis. That's for sure. I didn't know you were almost a professional sailor. I, uh, for me, the sailors are kind of the super athletes because you've got to be everything, a scientist, um, a fantastic athlete, manage a strategy, a tactic, technical, everything at the same time. Well, back in my day, it was just about traveling and drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's improved over the last 30 years. <laughs> Maybe it's a, it's a case for the Van de skippers. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you've got a big history in selling, therefore in sport. And you've been for almost 20 years at the fantastic Cirque du Soleil, uh, growing the property all around the globe, making shows everywhere. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, I pretty much jumped from um, from not going to the Olympics in Sydney in 2000 into a, into a job uh, at Cirque du Soleil where um, essentially my first job was more or less folding T-shirts and selling popcorn on one of the shows and um, essentially travelling. So, you know, travelling around in a, in a circus, um, in a, uh, a tent show, so in one of the big tents that travels around the world. And after a few years of that, I was offered a, a role in Montreal at the headquarters. And so I stayed, I stayed in Montreal for over 20 years. And I... I Probably for the last um, decade up until the pandemic, I was responsible for running the global touring business of the company. So Circus Lay is pretty much split into two businesses, the shows that are in Las Vegas, the, the casino shows, if you like, and then all of the touring shows that visit arenas and theatres and, and the, the, the famous tent shows that go around the world. And so I, I spent a decade uh, on an aeroplane doing that. And what a business, because it has been growing from being a small thing in Canada uh, to being a global property still existing, even so with the pandemic and the financial yep. difficulties that Cirque du Soleil got. Uh, what, what, what's your learnings about that fantastic experience? Look, I think the, be- the best thing that Cirque du Soleil does is be able to transport the customer or the guest for mm-hmm. two hours to another world. And circus art by itself is actually an incredibly old art form. 
I mean, there have been circuses traveling around the world for almost hundreds of years or probably hundreds and hundreds of years. So the, the art form itself is not new, but the, the, the gift that Cirque was able to do was, was be able to put a modern take on it and really be able to create new worlds for the audience and, and really be able to, to captivate attention uh, for two hours at a time in a, in a world where attention spans seem to be getting shorter, Cirque was able to, to really grab imagination. So taking something traditional, put a modern touch to make people dream and feel something different. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'm sure it has some similarities with what you do now, um, but we're going to come back to that because you're now the CEO of Volleyball World, uh, which is a result of a partnership of FIVB, uh, the International Volleyball Federation, with CBC Capital Partners, uh, one of if not the first international federation to to join efforts uh, with uh, uh, with the private equity firms. So first and foremost, why has CBC choose uh, volleyball? CBC has a fantastic track record, you know, with Formula One, MotoGP, and more after. Why? What was the reason to step into into volleyball? I was going to say beach volleyball, but no, volleyball. <laughs> Both, yeah. Well, look, I think when whenever, and I'm. I don't work for CBC, so I, I won't necessarily speak on their behalf. But I think that when you look at volleyball as a, as a global sport, the, the numbers are almost always surprising. The volume of fans and participants around the world, the number of countries where volleyball is, is played and, and, and whether there's amateur competitions or professional competitions, the geographic spread of the sport. So, you know, obviously Europe is a, is a hotbed but it's the biggest sport in women, for women in college in the U.S. It's a huge sport in Asia. So it really has a, a, a truly global footprint. And I think CBC was able to understand that pretty well and then work with the FIVB to establish that, yeah, there is a business here if we can really create value out of the success of the sport. And I think that's really important in that, The, the, the idea of the investment is about helping to grow the sport and to be able to grow it in a way that creates value for not only the CBC, but obviously for the FIVB as well. So it was a joint effort because Volleyball World is a commercial arm of uh, FIVB, so in, ch in charge of generating incomes and then yeah. for value to whole property, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But sometimes when, when you speak with different leaders in the world of sports, many are, are afraid. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Many are afraid that, you know, we see the growth on, of private equity firms stepping into sport properties. Sometimes it's not easy to find the right balance between development of the sports and development of the income generation and make sure that it gets back to the sport to, to ensure a safe future, to secure the future in a way. And it seems it's the case for you. It works. So can you can you let us yeah, know absolutely. about that magic But, formula? Well, I, I don't think there's too much magic to it, to be, to be honest. I, mm -hmm. I think really what it is is commitment from both sides in, in the purpose of the company and, and the reasoning behind creating the partnership. 
In volleyball at the FIVB, there is a program called Volleyball Empowerment, which is essentially a funding program to allow national federations and countries around the world to, uh, to have additional investment to help grow the sport in their countries and to grow their national team. Now, this, this fund needs funding. It needs constant supply of, 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 uh, of money. And so the idea of Volleyball World is essentially to be that sort. And so rather than growing the, the FIVB at the expense of countries or national federations or athletes or, or the competitions themselves, actually we flipped it so that we benefit from those competitions and we create value from outside the sport ecosystem through media partners, through sponsors, through, through uh, other partners hosting it. And then that money comes back into the sport through the dividends of the company. All right. So it's a virtual circle that is created, creating more value, get more incomes, reinvest through a 5B and the support to, uh, to develop the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one, one of the key ambitions of the FIVB is to, is to essentially be the, the secured second sport behind football, if you like, on a global scale. Okay. And uh, obviously, statistically, right now, volleyball is depending on how you count, fourth or fifth biggest sport in the world. But we would love and we believe, given the, the gender equality of the sport and given the accessibility, that there is a lot of room to grow the sport and to grow the popularity of the sport around the world. So the goal would be at one point to become the second sport. All right. Uh, and in the Olympics, where does volleyball stand uh, when it comes to interest of fans? So this is one of the advantages that we have in the sport already. Volleyball and beach volleyball are two of the most popular sports in the Olympics at every Olympics. Beach volleyball might be the, the hottest ticket to buy on a regular basis. Uh, it seems to always be the quickest sport to sell out. Um, and in terms of viewership, volleyball, indoor volleyball, uh, is always number one or two in terms of the global viewership. Uh, even in Tokyo, where there was no fans in the stadiums, uh, volleyball was the uh, most tweeted about sport for the entire game. So it's a huge part of the Olympic Games, for sure. Hmm. So, I mean, it's a truly global sport with a big focus on the Olympics. And uh, you, you've been there now for almost two years, if I'm correct. Almost, uh, yeah. And so... Creating a commercial arm in an international federation is, is quite something new, uh, not a lot of precedence. So when, when you arrived and you took that position, what are the first things you did, the first things you wanted to change uh, to improve uh, the situation? Well, look, the, I mean, the first thing that we did was uh, take a leaf out of the Cirque du Soleil book, actually, and, and really work on how volleyball is presented to the world. Hmm. And, and I'm not talking about from uh, how the game is played perspective because the, the athletes, the experts, and, and the game is, is incredible already. But talking about how we produce the TV broadcast, what is the live entertainment experience for a guest when they come to see volleyball in an arena, in a stadium? What does a beach volleyball event look like these days? Um, How do, we, how do we make these events commercially viable and not simply rely on governments to fund the events fully and, and 
um, and be at the mercy of, of, the, of the, the government funding machine. These, these events have an inherent commercial value. People want to see beach volleyball. People want to see volleyball. And so essentially we, we created a new wrapping for the sport, if you like, a new way of presenting the sport so that um, we can really showcase it to a, an even bigger audience than is already watching. The second part of the, of the plan was to improve it, at people's ability to actually watch volleyball. The Olympics is obviously an amazing event for the sport and people watch from all over the world, people will watch volleyball. But then in the three years between Olympics, people don't really have the opportunity to watch top-level volleyball that much. The sport suffers from, from um, inconsistent global television deals, if you like, and not really offering as better, as good access as, as other sports have through through digital channels, through, through OTTs and things like that. So we developed Volleyball TV specifically to be able to allow fans who wanted to watch wherever they are in the world, they can watch, honestly, as much volleyball as they can consume. This weekend we'll produce and broadcast 39 matches across Saturday and Sunday, um, and that's a lot of volleyball for anyone <laughs> <laughs> so, so two focus, if I understood well, one on the product itself, meaning what you experience in the stadium and what you see on TV. And the second is access to watch, more access to watch for core fans and, and fans in general to be able to watch whatever they want. Um, when it comes to the product, what are the main changes that you've made to make it even more entertaining, I would say? In terms of a live event experience, we've completely overhauled the, the fans' perspective when they come into the arena. And uh, I wouldn't say we've reinvented the wheel by any means, but we've been able to, to take elements from the NBA, from NFL, from Premier League, and be able to put those in a context for volleyball. So something as simple as um, we extended the breaks between sets from three minutes to five minutes to allow for a little bit more of a break, but also to allow us to do uh, fan giveaways or fan engagement activities during the match. Um, from a broadcast perspective, we have overhauled the, the way we broadcast the, the matches. We've added commentary to every match. Um, we've um, overhauled the graphics and, and the presentation, and we're doing this in multiple languages. On volleyball TV, you can watch volleyball in... Italian, English, Japanese, and Thai, depending on the competition and the match. Uh, again, all about improving accessibility to the fans around the world. Hmm. And what has been the perception of the market? Uh, you were mentioning, I mean, if you're the commercial arm, obviously the incomes, I would suppose, would come from sponsors, media rights, um, obviously the fans eventually with direct-to-consumer or tickets. Um, what, what has been the perception of these changes by the market? Well, I mean, overwhelmingly quite positive, to be honest. We, we have seen um, a lot of history in the sport of, um, I guess, in a way, low expectation and, and, and a presentation of a sport in a more traditional Olympic sense in, in terms of... Uh, um, Low commercialization, I guess, is a better better term. Um, 
not not offering sponsors great great visibility or added added attraction. Um, offering broadcasters a very stale international feed that, that they then have to adapt for their markets. Um, but instead, we're, you know, we're providing services, we're engaging with our partners to be able to offer them added value, um, to be able to um, customise feeds, to be able to customise commentaries depending on the markets that we need to be in. Um, and, and look, we're adding broadcasters in, a, in an era where TV might be Free-to-air TV might be starting to, to fade or wane a little bit. We're seeing broadcasters come back to the sport. We're seeing situations change from where we had to pitch networks to carry the sport to now being pitched by multiple networks in markets. Uh, and from our OTT perspective, we're seeing quite literally hundreds of thousands of fans come to volleyball TV, subscribe, and be able to watch their superstars play week in, week out. So it's been a good first two years, let's put it that way. <laughs> a great first two years. If we speak about figures, um, how many people love volleyball or beach volleyball? I don't know if it's separate figures or common figures. Well, look, we, we, when we were doing, doing establishing the partnership with the FIVB, um, we conducted some external studies, which had the number of fans and, and participants of volleyball around the world at around 800 million And for beach volleyball, almost 450 million. So the numbers are quite staggering when you when you put it in those sort of contexts. That, that leaves a lot of room for potential for volleyball TV, no doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Because if you look at the future of incomes, many of the sports organizations sometimes are kind of stuck when it comes to sponsorship, um, media rights, The best ones benefit from growth of incomes. The other ones are struggling. Um, betting is a new, and we spoke about that in Paris, betting is a new income generation. But direct to consumer and digital transformation is, is the key. Um, so could you share with us the, where are your incomes coming now? Where do you think will be the shift, if any? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Right now, we're very traditional in terms of our income streams. It's, it's media, it's betting, it's sponsorship, it's event hosting. Um, these are the stock standard revenue streams of most sports, I would imagine. But we are, um, you know, we're a digitally first company. We're very focused on direct-to-consumer. All of our efforts are built towards direct-to-consumer. And as we build out our, our .com and our app and, and all of the other elements of of our, our ecosystem, if you like. It's all about creating those relationships with the fans, those direct relationships with the fans, and, and also being able to allow our athletes to have those direct relationships to their fans and to be able to build fandom and notoriety directly. And you help the, the athletes in that sense? Yeah, absolutely. We, we are very focused on being able to support the athletes as they grow in the sport, as, as they get bigger and, and help them foster a fan base and, a, and an audience. And vice versa, we using them and working with them to help grow the overall audience of the sport. Um, you know, our athletes are, are, are fantastically cooperative and, and really want, they, they love their sport. They really want to see volleyball and beach volleyball grow. 
And so we're able to help them accelerate their, their audience growth and be able to build their own platform. And, and, and in consequence, you know, they help grow the overall ecosystem of the sport itself. So the athletes are becoming your partners to grow the reach of volleyball in general. That's what we're hoping, absolutely. <laughs> and when it comes to volleyball, uh, volleyball TV, uh, I mean, direct-to-consumer or OTT, obviously something um, needed to have direct relations with the fans, data, and so on, know the fans' behavior, what they like, what they don't like, give them access to what they want. <laughs> Uh, how do you manage the, um, the, the balance between selling media rights and pushing your own OTT? What, it's not so it is a balance, but it's a, it's a market by market discussion, right? So um, okay. we have our, our TV team is very focused on driving media revenues. It's still one of our biggest drivers, and we don't, we don't want to sacrifice it um, yep. necessarily. But, but what we are seeing more and more is that broadcasters are not against um, uh, a co-exclusivity, are not necessarily against um, particularly living with our own, our own um, system. I, I suppose they would be against another network in their market. But we are actually having good success in being able to negotiate co-exclusive relationships with broadcasters. Um, and so far save for three or four countries around the world, um, we're able to give out our fans our, our access to the OTT pretty much unencumbered. So, um, yeah, not, not too much of an issue. There's something we were very conscious about for sure, but so far um, it is able to, to exist quite harmoniously. And, and it isn't necessarily direct competition either because we do have original content on the platform Um, we do have other other leagues and competitions that may be not restricted domestically in certain markets. So even if a key if a key event is geoblocked or or restricted, there is other content that fans can you know, engage in and experience. Hmm. Does it mean that eventually one day volleyball TV could host content outside of your own competitions? We already do. In fact. Um, Apart from the FAVB competitions, we own the media rights for the Italian men and women's leagues, uh, the professional league, the biggest professional leagues in the world. And we, we work with domestic, uh, domestic TV networks in Italy to broadcast matches. But then we broadcast every other match on our service. And so a, a fan in Italy who previously might have only been able to watch half the season's home games uh, of their team can now watch every match. Um, and the playoffs and everything on volleyball TV. And then in the US, we broadcast um, NCAA volleyball, college volleyball, yep. um, both into the US and globally around the world. So we are able to offer domestic fans in the US access to watch their teams as well. Hmm, so you're becoming a hub for the best of volleyball in some ways. That's, That's the goal. One, play, one, one stop shop. <laughs> That's a goal. And Do you believe um, that having an OTT is mostly made for core fans or you find out that it also ha helps attracting new fans? Because normally the role of free-to-air or pay TV 
is to get to a larger audience, multi-sport, get them to know the sport, and then if you're a car fan, you go to OTT. Um, what is your feeling about that? What, what is your experience about that? I think there's an element to that, but I would say that we're building the platform to be as accessible to as many people as possible. And so, as you mentioned it before, you know, with the huge number of volleyball fans and participants around the world, we already have a fairly big potential market. Yeah. And if we think about even capturing one-tenth of one percent of that, it's still a great number. And I think that, you know, we do have we do have the full match live, we do have the full match replays, but we're also building highlight reels. We're also building athlete-focused pieces. We're also building, um, we're, we're, we're looking at producing documentaries. We're um, building content that, that helps people celebrate just, just one athlete if they are following a certain athlete. So really trying to be able to make it a one-stop shop, honestly, a one-stop shop for everyone and anyone, whether they're new to the sport um, or have been there for a while. We're, we're building a, a training series that will be out soon, a coaching series for people learning as well. So it's it's quite quite an interesting creative exercise, but, uh, you know, we're lucky we have the ability to do that right now. Oh, no, and I I believe in it very strongly. And it's funny because when you think about content, we see that obviously there are new formats and you mentioned it. Uh, obviously, with the live, you've got the highlights and best of uh, spikes or blogs or all the best ofs that are very successful digitally. But now you see a lot of documentaries and series. And we see that the world of athletes is growing recent case being um, the Redeem team uh, in basketball, uh, which is co-produced by IOC with LeBron James, Gwen Wade. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting to see that the athletes themselves become uh, producers of their stories and sometimes producers of other stories. It is something you, you're trying to, you know, to push with uh, the big stars that you have in your sport. Any plans? Well, I think any sport that said they wouldn't like a drive to survive is, is lying. <laughs> um, I, I think that, that being able to create a, a viewpoint of another side of the athletes is something that we're very committed to. Um, and to be able to, um, to be able to allow the fans access to their superstars um, off court is something that I think is very fundamental to being able to create a deeper engagement to the sport beyond just serves and the spikes and the dig. Um, yeah, we, look, we, this it's not like we're not working on it. We are looking at how we can build that. Um, but there's also gamification, right? There's also being able to allow fans to engage through through gaming, and not just betting per se, but fantasy and and all sorts of things. So we're exploring a variety of ideas. If not an easy one, uh, everyone leaves its position at one point, um, and we hope it's going to be with fantastic success, and it seems it's going to be the case. But if you if you could summarize what you would love your legacy to be for volleyball world, uh, how would you summarize it? To be honest, I haven't thought about my legacy just yet. <laughs> um, honestly, I think that 
I, I've said this a lot over the last two years and, and particularly over the last year, but the, the success of volleyball world will only come with the success of volleyball. And if, if we can, if, if I can leave this, this role and this job knowing that, that volleyball as a sport has been able to grow, but also that volleyball as a business has been able to establish and be able to um, provide new opportunities for, for people to live, breathe, eat, experience the sport, then, then I'd be pretty happy with, with what we've achieved. Nice one. So success of volleyball world will only come with the success of volleyball. So that's where the, the true partnership you've got with the 5 is taking all sense. Yeah, and they're an amazing partner. I mean, in terms of a, we, we think of sporting federations as fairly conservative, um, stuck in the mud type organizations, but the FIVB is incredibly forward thinking. They've been great partners in us in, in helping us adapt. You know, we changed some rules of the game this year. We, we added a serve clock because we wanted to bring the, 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 the length of matches down to a TV block of two hours. Um, you know, things like this that, that would have previously taken, quite frankly, years to introduce. They've been fantastic in helping us push these, these innovations through to, to improve the presentation and improve the experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's going back to the product. Right now, you, it has been just announced today that there will be more teams as a World Championship, 32 teams and men and women. Uh, on indoor volleyball, there's kind of a traditional competitions and beach volleyball, you've been changing a lot the format of the competitions. Yeah, we, we, one of the challenges of beach volleyball, it's a much newer sport relative to indoor volleyball. The first Olympics that was competed at was Atlanta. And so we're, we're only talking about roughly 30 years, a little less actually than 30 years of, of Olympic history as a sport in, on the global stage. And so... Beach volleyball is, is one of these sports that's it's fantastic sport. It, it really is. And I'm a non-beach volleyball. I, I didn't play it as a kid. Or but as I've got more involved, I've obviously get to watch a lot. And the athletes are incredibly fit and, and skilled at what they do. But the sport has had a history of either being free for spectators to, to come and and either watch or no, it doesn't matter, and very much um, small time in, in inverted commas, right, sort of um, not, not growing to like a tennis tour or things like that, a very sporadic growth history. And part of this is because running outdoor events is inherently quite expensive. And so what has happened over the last decade is there's been stops and starts of people trying to build world tours for beach volleyball. And, and some will start and be fantastic for two or three years and then effectively run out of money and, and fizzle away. So what we tried to do was, was use ATP, the tennis tour, as a guide and say, if we can create commercially profitable events where hosts are incentivized to, to keep keep running these events and bring them back year after year and develop traditions and develop legacy in their market. And they have 
you know, a financial motivation to keep doing this, then the overall tour will grow. An opportunity for our athletes will grow. And then value for our sponsors and value for our board. So our first step, again, was to go back to the product and say, today, what can we afford? And how can we redesign the beach volleyball event, and hence the world tour, to start off on a fundamentally strong footing and then be able to grow from there? And not just grow for two or three years, but grow for five, 10, 15 years and build and expand and create global significance. Lots of people know when Wimbledon or the French Open is happening, but they probably don't know when the Beach Volleyball World Championships or the Tour Finals for Beach Volleyball are happening. And so we're trying to create a tour that is consistent, has, has these traditions, has these these tentpole events that people, you know, might be motivated to travel to or might want to turn on, might want to be able to catch. So, yeah, we spent a lot of, lot of work on the product. And the second part of the, the, the evolution this year was we made a commitment to broadcast every single match on the tour. And this is a, this is a huge change from the previous because in, in the previous iterations of the tour, all of the production was done locally by a local organiser, and they would bring in a local TV network and take the feed for free in exchange for production. But that could often mean a single camera, fixed camera at one end of the court, no commentary, no graphic. As you can imagine, that didn't offer a lot of value for broadcasters and sponsors didn't really like. So we made the, we made the commitment this year that we're investing in multi-camera production of every court and every match on the tour. And it's on volleyball TV at a regular time, on a regular schedule, so people can tune in and people can watch their, their, their favourite athletes week after week. And they can follow their favourite athletes match after match and add context to the season. Previously, if you just stumbled across a beach volleyball match on YouTube on a random Saturday or Sunday, you might hang around for three or four minutes. You really didn't know who the teams are. You didn't know where the competition was going. And you didn't know whether the competition mattered or not. Now we're providing much more context for our fans and our broadcasters and our sponsors to be able to understand that it's a fantastic sport. It deserves your time and attention. And the athletes that we have are as good at beach volleyball as Roger Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and Williams are at tennis, as I think we saw at Roland Garros a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love to compare Fed, um, with all its humility in a way, but Federer to the Vikings, no, the Norwegian yeah. team. Yeah. In the ways it dominates a game with so much elegance and efficiency at the same time. <laughs> it's uh, incredible. I mean, these guys are European, world, Olympic champions. They're superstars. They're superstar and they dominate the game in the sense that I don't have the statistic, but how many tournaments they play, how many they win, it's it's, it's incredible. Uh, and when it comes to beach volleyball, you help create stars, if I understand well, because you've created a system where the top games, if you compare it to tennis, that would be the Masters, um, the Masters series, uh, which is Elite 16 for uh, tournaments in your case. It's limited to 16 teams. Uh, 
And I would suppose that helps create stars for people everywhere to recognize who's who and and follow uh, the journey of the players in the whole season. Yeah, the, the previous format was a, was a multi-starred system of five different levels of event, which, which the normal fan couldn't really understand the difference between a two-star event and a three-star event yeah. or the like. And so we basically created two main levels of the, of the tour. They're called Challenge and Elite 16. But effectively, um, what we're trying to do is use the tour as a showcase for the best of the sport. And through that, as people start to know who the, who the teams are, know who the superstars know the sport better, then, you know, we can, we can, we can expand the tour. We can grow the, 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 the visits we go, the countries that we visit, the, the markets that we bring the tour to and be able to expand the sport like beach volleyball still is a, um, as I said, it's still a growing sport. It's still a sport where um, there's a lot of pe- a lot of teams playing uh, around the world. But as we start to bring the showcase of the Beach Pro Tour to the global market, it's really important that the product we put on TV and on the beach is the best for the sport it can be. And so the way we've built Elite 16 and then our challenge level, which is 24 teams per competition, um, is designed to do exactly that. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see so far. So far, there have been, it has been a quite a nice season for the athletes and it seems the athletes are happy because of the number of tournaments that happened. Yeah, it's, it's tough coming out of COVID, right? We essentially are missing most of Asia still for the tour. So we have a very, this year, very European, heavy Middle East uh, world tour. But as of next year, we'll add more and more events to the schedule. And, and we'll probably have about 30 events on the world schedule next year, the world tour next year, which is starting to be a really fantastic global product for this sport. And interestingly, a world championship in Mexico. Yeah, for the first time in 20 years, we'll be not in Europe, which was also a very, very strong objective of ours is to be able to globalize the event more. Um, so, yeah, we'll be in, in Mexico, um, in Tlaxcala, in the middle of Mexico for 10 days of a world championship next year, which is just incredibly exciting for the sport and for Mexico itself. The, the government and the, the towns that we're hosting the event in have really embraced the event. And I think you'll see it's one of the best world championships for sports ever. Yeah. To be happen on bullring arenas. Yeah, we're repurposing bullrings, um, which which we we had the first event of the Beach Pro Tour this year in Clascula, Mexico, in a bullring. It was phenomenal. The the town came out. The side courts were uh, were on streets of the, the main street of the city, and uh, it was it was amazing experience. And I think all of the athletes that that competed and and experienced the hospitality. Can't wait to go back. Okay. So if we had to summarize your main wish for indoor and your main wish for beach, what would it be? Well, my main wish for beach is easy. It's 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 to grow the stability, the economic stability of the tour and to be able to develop a profitable, self-sustaining, and self-growing tour. I think that's really important for the sport. And I think if, when we get there. The sport will be in a, an incredibly strong position. For indoor, to be quite honest, we are very committed to be able to make this sport uh, a real global 
powerhouse in terms of bringing fans, driving spectator and fandom around the world. We, we currently have across our social channels over 20 million fans connected around the world. Um, and we expect that to double, quite frankly, over the next 12 months. We expect to be able to grow our connections to fans because, remember, they exist. We just have to find them and, and connect to them. Um, and, and we expect to be able to really build that connection to the global community stronger and stronger and, and be able to have volleyball as a draw card for audiences right around the world and for fans on both on free-to-air and on our OTT. Any chance to expect on competitions format or it's going to, you're going to capitalize on the existing uh, competition formats? Yeah, I think, I, I, I mean, I think that Volleyball Nations League, which is our big annual tournament, our big yeah. 16-team annual tournament, will continue to evolve because for us that tournament is really about, it is about the fans. It's about bringing the sport and the best athletes and the best teams to the fans around the world. And as, a, as an example, we held one of the rounds of, of the Volleyball Nations League in the Philippines this year. Well, the Philippines don't compete in the competition But we had full houses for almost all the matches during the whole week of the competition. The fans came out to watch the Japanese team. They came out to watch the French team. It was amazing crowd, amazing, amazing. And they're not supporting their home team. They're supporting the international superstars of the sport. And this for us was just a fantastic, fantastic opportunity to be able to expose you know, our athletes to the fans, but also to show these these countries that don't necessarily have the, the teams at, at that level yet, what actually the sport does actually represent. And I think it was a fantastic showcase. FIBA, by the way, has changed a couple of years ago, or eventually a bit more, but I think it's a couple of years. So, as a qualification format for the World Cup, going to different markets and making clusters. And it has been a huge success when it comes to uh, exposure, bringing the sport to markets that could eventually not host such big competitions like, in your case, VNL uh, or World Championships. What do you think about that example? I think it's a good, I think it's exactly the right, the right track to take. I think that the, the way for a sport to grow is to expose more and more people to the best of that sport. And I think that You know, as I spoke at the start, for us, the focus is on accessibility mm. and being able to showcase the sport to as many people as possible. And, uh, yeah, I think that, that ease of comprehension is a big part of it too, right? Often you, these qualification systems and these ranking points and what have you can do a lot of great, uh, good, good stuff, but they can also confuse a lot of the maybe the non-hardcore fans. Correct. And so being able to simplify those sort of elements is really, really important. Yeah, make it simple to the fans, for the fans to understand the game, how it works, who's, who are the stars. Interesting, interesting. One last word before we go to a surprising series of, of questions for you. Okay. <laughs> well, let's go straight to the questions. Uh, we got this ritual at SIS Masters podcast. Um, So it's quick questions or quick answers. Okay. Um, who is your favorite all-time athlete and why? Uh, a guy called Paul Elstrom, who is a Danish sailor, won, won three or four gold medals back-to-back -back in the 
forties uh, and fifties, fifties and sixties. Uh, incredible, incredible person who was ahead of his time in terms of technique and um, thinking about the sport of sailing. And uh, amazing story. Nice one to know. One to know. What's your favorite event? Just event, or volley- you mean volleyball? Event. event, sport, entertainment, event. Wow, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, Stanley Cup. Oh, NHL Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, I've lived in Montreal for long enough. I got addicted to. Oh it. yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Stanley Cup. What is your favorite word? My favorite word. Word like I don't know. Hope. <laughs> Um, perseverance. Oh, needed one. <laughs> What is your least favorite word? Quit. One great advice you have received you would love to share. You know, one, one of the things I often tell employees and team members is uh, if you want something in life, you should ask. And uh, no one's going to necessarily offer you something they don't think you want. But if you want something, you should ask. That's a beautiful one. What profession others and use uh, would you like to attempt? I would like, I've, I've always wanted to be a rock and roll promoter, like a concert promoter doing, uh, doing rock and roll concerts around the world. Funny, backstage again, just like in Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, I'm, not a, I'm definitely not a front stage person. I, I'm a very much a backstage person. <laughs> If you had one more hour every day in your busy life, how would you use it? I would spend it with my children. Oh, nice one. And last one, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? The boat is tied up at the dock, go for a sail. What, sorry, what, what is it exactly? The boat? I have a boat. He's got a boat ready for me at the at the dock. Oh, nice! I didn't understand that one. Oh, that's a beautiful one, and you would never know where this boat goes. That's it. <laughs> beautiful one. Thank you, Finn. Uh, thank you, Finn, for sharing this time with us. Uh, obviously, we wish you uh, the best with volleyball world. Uh, as you know, we love that sport. We've been. Uh, contributing in all ways and latest we'll see each other in Mexico most likely before somewhere else and good luck for this all this endeavors that you have thanks a lot Anna been a pleasure <laughs> thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast we'd love you to subscribe please leave a review or rate the podcast it will help us improve we'd love to see you in the next episode enjoy enjoy